0: It is uh, good to be with you today. Uh, I've uh, been so blessed by uh, my friendship with your pastor. He's been such an encouragement to me over the years, uh, as well as uh, Pastor Tyrone, who's preached our church before, uh, about five years ago, preached from 1 John. And uh, it was a wonderful message. And uh, Pastor Zach, I believe, is preaching in the next couple months at the Garden Church. So thank you for sharing your pastors with us. Um, I want to invite you to turn with me to the book of Acts, Acts chapter one. Acts chapter one. And um, since you all have masks on, I can't see your faces, so it's incredibly difficult to read facial expressions. So you are welcome to say Amen or or uh, Hallelujah. Shout or say, "Hey, slow down." Uh, Acts chapter one. I want to I want to read the the whole chapter here, and broadly preach from this chapter. Uh, I want to expose God's truth here uh, for for us today as His people. So, Acts chapter one. If you would follow along in a copy of the scriptures, if you are new to the Bible, uh, if you have a tablet or a phone, uh, Acts chapter one or Uh, Look in the front cover and you can find a page number uh, in the table of contents for the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1, starting with verse 1. Please follow along. It says, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. And when they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who you saw taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. The company of persons was in all about 120, and said, brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke before him by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus, for he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness and falling headlong, he burst open in the the middle and all his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem that the field was called in their own language, Al-Kedema, Keldama, is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus was, went in and out among us, beginning... From the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two. Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, you, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. This morning from Acts chapter 1, in the midst of uh, churches and Christians being distracted by endless debates, in the midst of uh, churches and Christians being polarized, and pulled apart by politics. I want us to refocus this morning on the mission that God has sent us on through Jesus Christ. But not only the mission, I want to focus on the power behind the mission. Because if we don't have the power, we don't have the mission. And so I want to speak to you this morning on this theme, power for a new mission. If you will pray with me, let's ask God for his help this morning. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the fact that it comes to us uh, without error, uh, with the power of the Holy Spirit as we read it, as it is explained, as it is heard. It has the power to change us. God, I pray that you will help me this morning, that I will communicate not my own ideas, but your truth. I pray for the hearts of those who listen, in my own heart, that we would be open Our hearts would be open and malleable, soft to your word that we might be shaped and formed by it. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. One author told a story of one New Year's Day during the Rose Bowl parade. A float suddenly sputtered and quit. It was out of gas and the whole parade was held up because of this float. It was held up until they could find a can of gas and and uh, and and refill the float with gas. The funny and shameful thing about this is that the float represented the Standard Oil Company, a company all about fuel and power. With its vast oil resources, its truck was out of gas. And listen, I wonder if, with all of our vast resources, if there are some Christians who are out. I wonder, with all of our vast resources, there are some churches that are out of gas in spite of the fact that we have been called clothed with power, according to Luke chapter 24, verse 49. Out of gas, fueled by the wrong spirit, on the wrong mission, and going in the wrong direction. And so therefore, I want to preach to you this morning on this theme, power for a new mission. Now, lest I miscommunicate from the start, when I say new mission, I mean a very old mission. I don't mean a new mission as of 2021. In a uh, world in which yesterday's news is truly yesterday's, there it goes, there it goes. Help me. That's the devil. He's already at work, you see. In a world in which yesterday's news is truly yesterday's news. And, uh, you know, if, if you're talking about something that was talked about last week, you're out out of date, all right? Uh, we're beyond that conversation. Uh, to call the mission that we are on new uh, feels kind of strange. Uh, people might look at the mission that we are called to as the church and say, wow, that is passe. That is outdated. We need to actually update the mission. Now, I want to say it is a new mission in a sense, but it's also a very old mission. It's a mission that's been around for 2,000 years for us as the global church. And that mission is to do this. It is to proclaim what 1 Timothy 1.15 so beautifully sums up, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. What a wonderful line. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners sinners. And Jesus Christ gave us our mission in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. It's called the Great Commission, where he said, go therefore into all the world, preach the gospel, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things. That's the mission that we have been given as the church. So what's new about it then is is the fact that it's, it's new here for the church in Acts. It's part of this final wave of God's work in this world to send his people on this global mission. And it's a mission that hasn't changed. Now, I should also say this. God's mission hasn't changed either. God's mission since day one has always been to bring glory to himself through redeeming a people. And as we open the book of Acts this morning, we see a mission that has been given to us to display the glory of God, to display the, uh, uh, the redemption that is offered through God's mission. So uh, I want to kind of give you a preface here. This morning I want to talk about mission. As I think of my own neighborhood in the city of Baltimore, we're in the upton Druid Heights neighborhood, the neighborhood of about 10,000 residents, kind of jam packed together in row houses, with, an, with another 30 to 40,000 people living uh, within a, a walk from our neighborhood. Two thirds of our adults in the neighborhood are unemployed. Half the kids won't statistically graduate from high school. The vast majority of kids don't have fathers in the homes. Drug teams uh, control corners in our neighborhood. Addiction is off the charts but that's not the worst news for our neighborhood the worst news is this is that many people don't know Jesus you see the greatest poverty in the world is not the poverty of the wallet it's the poverty of the word and that that is true in every context here in PG County you got a million people many of whom don't know Jesus Facing an eternity without Jesus, under the wrath of God, we have a mission. We are on a mission. Church is not just something nice that we do on Sundays. We are together a family on mission. But I also want to highlight not just our mission, I want to highlight our power. The power behind the mission. Because let's be honest, it feels powerless, When you think about the lost people in your life, the people that you already know, and you think, man, what is it going to take for them to wake up to spiritual realities? What do we have? It feels powerless. It feels powerless. And the crazy thing is this, is God has not given us a sword for this mission, he's given us words. We have not been given thrones of worldly kingdoms, but rather, we've been given ideas of heavenly realities. We don't have worldly might in this mission, but we come in human weakness. And so I've got to say that if we don't have an otherworldly power behind us, filling us, moving us, transforming us, then we have nothing for this mission. So let's look at Acts. Acts is really part two of Luke. If you think of the Gospel of Luke, uh, Acts is Luke part two. In verse one of Acts, he says in the first book, referring to the Gospel of Luke, O Theophilus, I dealt with all the things that Jesus began to do and to teach. And so Luke reminds the reader of uh, the central character of his first book, who was Jesus himself. Now in verse 2, he introduces the central character for the book of Acts, and that is the Holy Spirit. Verses 1 through 3 kind of bring us up to speed. Jesus died, he was buried, and he was raised. And when he was raised, he says he was raised by many proofs. In verse 3, the certainty of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, listen to this, the certainty of his resurrection is a must when we think of our own mission and what we are communicating in this world. We see some interesting historical facts here. We see that Jesus didn't uh, raise from the dead and immediately ascend into heaven, but rather he stayed for 40 days. What was the purpose of that? Well, it was sort of like an intense seminary training. Verse three, he's talking about the kingdom of God. If the Holy Spirit is the main character, the kingdom of God is the main theme. Now all through the Bible, God is the true king. And a true king has a kingdom. And so here we are proclaiming a message about the kingdom of this true king. Verses 4 through 8 then chronicle the final days of Jesus on earth with his disciples. And the question comes, what's next? What's next? They've come to the end of these amazing three and a half years with Jesus. Watching him heal, watching him teach, watching him love the least of these. The drama surrounding the crucifixion, the denial of Peter. As he denies Jesus Christ that fateful night Jesus' death on the cross, the resurrection, and now Jesus is ascending to be with the Father, and we've got to ask this question that they must have been asking themselves, and that is, what's next? What's the next phase that we are moving into? Well, what's next is this mission, the Great Commission. The Great Commission says, I've already said it once, so help me out. All authority has been given to me on heaven and earth. Therefore, what's the next word? Go. Go. And make disciples. Go. You know, as we think of missions, we love go. That word go. That feels exciting. That feels like we're going to do something. Go, go, go. But Jesus Jesus says go, but not yet. Wait. Go, behold up. Look at verse 4. While staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to, what's that word? Wait. But to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now, Jesus said, go, but wait. I imagine a military leader sending his platoon into battle, and he says, go, but then he says, wait, hold up, you're not ready. Or think of a football coach uh, pumping his team up, uh, ready for that final game, and they're ready to run out uh, out of the locker room. And he says, but wait, but wait, you don't quite have it. You're not Ready, go, yes, but wait. Why wait? It's because they don't yet have the power for the mission. They don't yet have what it takes. Like I said, if we don't have an otherworldly power, then we don't have a mission. So I want to summarize these next verses under three headings. The need for power, the experience of power, and finally the result Of this power. Number one, let's look at the need for power. Our need for power for the mission that God has given us. What is their need? Well, think of it in verse 13 they're down a leader. Judas is dead. It lists the names of the apostles, and we see 11 names. They're down a leader. Verses 17 through uh, 20 describe in depth what happened to Judas. He fell, his, his insides came out, he died. Not only are they down a leader, but we're told that there is, in verse 15, 120 of them. Only 120 people. Think of this. The Roman Empire had about 60 million people at the time. And they're being called to take this, war, this message, which, which is going to transform the globe, and there is 120 people down a leader. Look, we can't look around the room and judge, based on what we see, what God is going to do. When we think of the mission that we're called on, whatever it might be, even at a practical level here in PG County or for us in Baltimore City, as we're thinking about what we are, uh, have a sense of calling in this mission to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, we can't look around and, and simply say, based on what we see, do we have what it takes? Oh, the church would have disbanded immediately if that was their mindset. They were utterly powerless. They were utterly powerless. And so Jesus said, before you go, you have to wait. And if you go without this power, you're going to be all looks and no substance. A hoopla bop. That's what my brother and I used to call uh, the basketball player back in the day who would walk into the gym with the brand-new Jays and uh, and one shorts, remember and one, and uh, uh, 6'4", and headband. We're like, man, I want that dude on my team. And then he touches the ball. After you already picked him. (laughs) And uh, he can't even hit a layup, much less a free throw. We would call that guy a hooplin' bop. That was the nickname we came up for him, which meant you're all show. Everything looks good on the outside, but you are a basketball fraud. And for many, everything looks good on the outside, but you are a spiritual fraud. We got all the spiritual swag, the spiritual talk, the spiritual. But we're a fraud because there's no power behind our message. In the same way that someone who has a drug addiction might turn to substances to get a superficial sense of success, we can get high off of the substances that we can come up with with our own hands. The look of spirituality. The things that we can do programmatically as a church. The feel that we can put out there. But it can all just simply be a a false sense of success. All show with no substance. And I think right now as we look across the nation and we see churches falling apart. We see churches fighting with each other. The politics out there have become divisive in here. I don't mean in this room. But in churches, in local churches, dividing, hostile toward one another over differences of opinion, over differences of definitions of words, we got to ask ourselves, what power are we leaning on? Are we leaning on the power of the Holy Spirit? Or are we grieving the Holy Spirit through fighting? And Ephesians tells us that if we are hostile toward one another, we are grieving the Holy Spirit. And if the Holy Spirit is our power for this mission and He is grieved, don't think you have any power. I'm concerned for the church in America. May we be focused on the mission. May we have the power for this mission but we've got to first get ourselves out of the way. Charles Spurgeon said, you will never glory in God till first of all God has killed your glorying in yourself. Let me say that again in case you were just dozing off. Charles Spurgeon said, you will never glory in God till first of all God has killed your glorying in yourself. In order for us to be filled with the power for this mission, we must kill self-glory. We must allow God, through humbling us, to kill self-glory so that we might desire to glory, gl- uh, glory in him alone. Because without this power, we are utterly powerless. Without the power of the Holy Spirit, Abraham said, I'm nothing but dust and ashes, Genesis eighteen twenty-seven. Isaiah said, I am ruined for I am a man of unclean lips, Isaiah 6, 5. Peter said, go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man, Luke chapter 5, verse 8. Paul said, I was the chief of sinners, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 16. So, what do you need? Jesus is ascending, he says, so that he can send the helper. He can send the Holy Spirit that we need for this mission. Luke chapter 3, verse 16 prophesied that Jesus would baptize his followers in the Holy Spirit, and that's what we see happening right now. You're going to see it played out if you read on into Acts chapter 2 as the Holy Spirit comes in power. What is this experience of power going to be like for the Christians? What is it? If we talk about the power of the Holy Spirit, we've got to ask the question what is this power? Well, the answer is, it's not quite what even they thought it would be. Even as Jesus is ascending, they ask him this question. They say, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Even up until this moment, they still don't quite get it. And so Jesus says, all right, I'm going to give the final word on this whole subject of restoring the kingdom of Israel. On this earth, this is what he says. This is the final word, all right? We're not talking about it beyond this. He says, It is not for you to know. It's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. You know, instead of being focused on our mission, Christians have historically become so hung up on this very question that they were hung up on uh, in the first century when is Jesus coming back? When or how is the kingdom going to be restored? I think of two ways that we typically get hung up on this. First, we try to guess when he's coming back. That's wasted time and energy. Spending so much energy looking for theological clues and reading the newspaper, trying to figure out when Jesus is coming back. Jesus already told us. He says, you don't know. And it's not for you (laughs) to know. Secondly... The second way we get hung up is we're trying to set up, when we try to set up his kingdom on earth. Christians have spent enormous amounts of energy trying to set up physical displays of God's kingdom on earth. This was, this was the, the uh, misguided theology of the zealot. Believing that we could, through human power, through the sword, set up God's kingdom on earth. There is no human power That can bring about the kingdom of God. Therefore, let me just say this, there is no nation state that represents the kingdom of God. America is not God's nation. Neither is any other nation. The kingdom of God is spiritual. It's a spiritual kingdom. So we are on this new mission, which is to be a witness of this spiritual kingdom. And so we see, uh, we see it named then in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Look at verse 8 with me. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Now what is this power for? He tells us, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Verse, chapter 1, verse 8 is incredibly important to the book of Acts. It's, it's in some ways the theme verse for the whole book. It, it contains the outline for the book of Acts. Jerusalem. Jerusalem, chapters 1 through 7. Judea and Samaria, chapters 8 through 12. The ends of the earth, chapters 13 through 18. Here we are called. To be on mission. The mission of every single Christian is right here. Every pastor, every missionary, every church. Whether you're in the pulpit or in the pew pushing a mop or teaching a class, fashion designer or tent maker, we are called to be witnesses. To be witnesses. To represent, to tell people about the Kingdom of God or the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of salvation for this world. You see, people get confused as to what the power of the Holy Spirit even is. It's not power to uh, get fancy and perform miracles, it's not power to just simply touch people and heal people. It's not power to have an amazing music service where everybody's lifting their hands up. Wonderful, that's great. But what is the power of the Holy Spirit? As we see in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, it is power so that you might witness it for Jesus. So that your words are no longer weak, but they're filled with power. Imagine with me that you walk into a morgue. And you're told as you walk into this morgue to raise the dead dead. Bodies to bring spiritual life back into these bodies. And, and so, so you're looking at these bodies in the morgue and you're touching them and you're wait, trying to wake them up and none of them are waking up. The mission feels utterly hopeless, doesn't it? Listen, that is kind of like the mission we've been sent on. People are spiritually dead. People who don't have Jesus are like walking spiritual zombies, And we have been called to go out into the world and to see dead people come to life. And so we can shake We can do all that. What what power do we have? How is it possible that we can go into the spiritual morgue and see dead people come alive? Well, here's how it works. You speak the gospel. Like, you, you tell people that God is a holy God. And that God has called us to be like him, to be holy as he is holy. He's given us a law, but we broke that law. We are what's called sinners. And because of our sin, we are under the curse of sin, which is death. And we are heading to hell as a result of the curse of sin. But God, rich in mercy, he sent Jesus, God in the flesh, into the world, who lived the life that I should have lived, who died on the cross, and when he died, God treated him as a sinner. He represented me in his death. He took the wrath of God that I deserved in his own body on the tree. And it killed him, buried him in the ground. But three days later, he rose from the dead, defeating sin, defeating my guilt, defeating your guilt, And all who turn from their sins and trust in him have the promise that one day they will be forever freed from even the presence of sin, living forever with God in this world. Listen, this is the crazy thing, all right? Those are just words, right, that I just shared. We share these words with a dead person. And something starts happening. I can't explain it. It's weird when you see it happen. It's weird. Like, like, you're like, whoa, you actually are starting to believe this? Yeah, it's not you. It's the spirit. It's the power that we have behind those words. And spiritual dead bodies come to life, and it's amazing. And I've seen it through the pandemic. We've seen people come to Christ. I'm sure you guys have seen it. I want to see more of it. I think of Ezekiel. Ezekiel's walking around and he finds this valley of dry bones. And God comes to Ezekiel and God says, Ezekiel, can these bones live? Ezekiel says, if you say so. What a great response. God says, God says, do this. Say this. Dry bones. Hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you, and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put uh, breath in you, and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So Ezekiel's like, all right, I'll try to I'll say these words. So Ezekiel speaks these words, and as he speaks the word of God over the valley of dry bones, he hears a rattling sound, we're told. And all of a sudden, Ezekiel sees bone coming to bone and and, and tendons attaching bones together and skin and flesh beginning to cover the bones until all of a sudden he sees a valley now of bodies but yet there is no breath in them. And so Ezekiel looks to the Lord and he's like, wow, well, there's bodies, but there's no, no, no breath in them. God says, well, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, breathe from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. And so Ezekiel speaks the word of God once again over the valley of these dead bodies and he sees their chests begin to rise as oxygen flows into these lungs and they stand together, as it says, as an army of men. Here's my point. Ezekiel had no power In and of himself to raise dead bodies but the word of God. You have no power in and of yourself to raise spiritually dead bodies but the word of God. Speaking, proclaiming the word of God as you are clothed in the power of the Holy Spirit. Brings the dead to life. The experience of this power through Acts will be seen as Samaritans come to Christ. As uh, uh, Philip preaches the gospel to an Ethiopian eunuch and he springs to new life. As a man named Saul who is harming the church has an encounter with Jesus and hears the word of Christ and he springs to new life. As Cornelius, a Gentile, hears the word of the Lord and he springs to new life. As a wealthy fashion designer, Lydia, hears the word of the Lord and she springs to new life. As a jailer, hears the word of the Lord and he springs to new life. As the citizens of Athens, hear the word of the Lord and they spring to new life. As those in Corinth and those in Ephesus and those to the uttermost parts of the world hear the word of the Lord and they spring to new life. And this will be experienced 2,000 years later as you heard the word of the Lord and God gave you life. As we proclaim the word of the Lord and we see dry bones come to life. Now, the power is also more than just simply evangelism and seeing conversions. But Jesus says, teaching them to observe all things as part of the Great Commission. And so testifying to Jesus doesn't stop when somebody gets saved. But for the next 40, 50, 60 years of their life, we continue to speak the word of God with power. And testify to the truthfulness of Jesus Christ. You experience this power when you speak God's word to God's people and they are strengthened. That's not you. That was the power of the Holy Spirit. You you, you experience this power when you, in gentleness and love, correct or rebuke a brother or sister in their sin, and they repent of their sin and turn to you as their friend. That's not you. That's not your winsome ways. That's just the power of the Holy Spirit as you are obedient in this mission of testifying through words to who Jesus Christ is. Here's the point. God is using his word to shape his church, and you have power as you witness to Christ. So finally, what is the result of this power? Where is this taking us? What is the end result of this power? Well, let's continue in Acts here. We saw in verse uh, 15, 120 people are waiting in prayer, by the way. In prayer. Can I not rush over that line? It begins on our knees. We don't go out into any kind of mission, uh, speaking God's word, without relying 100% on God through prayer. Now, they get to business because, like I said, they're down an apostle. They've got 11 names there. And they need 12 apostles. So in verse 22, we see the stipulations uh, for who it is that could be an apostle. There are two possibilities. And they choose this man named Matthias. Now, what's the point of this? Why do they have to get back to that number 12? Why don't they just say, guys, let's just just stick with 11. No, we've got to have 12. What's the point of this? 12 tribes in Israel representing the humanity of God. Now, 12 apostles representing the new people of God. Revelation chapter 21 verses 10 through 12 uh, gives us this vision of the new humanity, of the new people of God. And it says in this vision that there's there's this this beautiful kingdom, there's 12 gates with 12 angels at each gate. And, And on each gate are the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. But check this out, the pillars for this new city are the 12 apostles. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 20 says, the church is built on the foundation of the apostles. The point I'm after with this 12, the point I'm after is to simply show you this, that the result of the Holy Spirit power is the remaking of a new human race. Like this is not just simply about Uh, getting groups of people together on earth. This is not just simply about having nice little worship services. This is not simply about individuals coming to know Jesus. Praise God for every one of them. But this is is massive. We're talking about a whole new humanity. We're talking about a whole new human race that is one day going to fill the, the, the recreated heavens and earth. So let me ask you this question. What do you want your life on this earth to be about? What do you want to be remembered for? Where do you find comfort? Do you want to be remembered for someone, uh, as someone who just simply sought after the worldly benefits and comforts? Do you want to be remembered as someone who was just after temporal power in this world? What if we are remembered as someone who is about this mission, a new humanity, bigger than all of us, bigger than anything that we can think of accomplishing in this world. What if we all agreed with the Apostle Paul who said, I consider my my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. What if that was our life mission? Everything else I consider nothing. If only I can complete the task that I am on to testify, to be a witness for who Jesus is. And it's all about Jesus. And by the way, Jesus gave us this mission. And Jesus was faithful on his own mission. Though he had all of the riches of heaven, he gave it up and was born in servant quarters. Previously wrapped in glory, he was now wrapped in swaddling cloth. Previously, enjoying the luxury of heaven, he came to this earth serving the least of these. And when it came time to dinner, he wrapped the servant towel around his own waist and began washing the feet of his disciples. You see, Jesus is faithful on his mission. When the royal robe was finally placed on his shoulders, it was done in mockery. When they placed a sign above his head that read, King of the Jews, it was done in jest. When the crown was placed on his head, it was not a crown of gold, but a crown of thorns. When Jesus was lifted up, He was lifted up onto a tree, not a throne. And when his greatness was finally on earth put on display, he was naked and bloodied. Jesus was faithful on his mission. Three days later, the earth could no longer hold him. The grave couldn't keep him, and he got up. And he stayed on his mission. For 40 days, training and inviting his disciples into this mission. Offering them also forgiveness for people like Peter who dipped out on him in in his uh, most needy moment. Jesus said, I'm sending a helper, the Holy Spirit, as he ascended into heaven and the church is then catapulted into the world. Jesus is faithful on his mission. While his mission was accomplished that day on the cross, 2,000 years later, Jesus still serves us as he intercedes for us, as he represents us, as he advocates on our behalf. What I'm saying is is that, that Jesus is faithful on his mission, but it's still not over. He's coming again. One day we will be caught up together with Him in the sky and all things will be transformed and made new and there will be a new humanity on earth. Is there anybody here who would say, I am part of that new humanity? Is there anybody here who would say that I was once dry bones because of the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. I sprung to life. And I'm part of this fellowship. Oh, what a fellowship it is. What a joy divine as we are leaning on the everlasting arms of Christ. Our greatest problem was sin. The solution was a Savior. Worthy, the scripture says, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and praise. As we are called to this mission, I've got to ask you, is Jesus worthy of it? Is he worthy of this mission? Amen. Is he worthy of your life? Is he worthy of us giving our whole self to this, reliant completely on the power of the Holy Spirit, testifying to the goodness of Jesus Christ? Because he is good. He is the fountain of life. He's the good shepherd. He's the light of the world. He's our rock. He's our fortress. He's our deliverer. He is our stronghold. He is the Alpha and Omega. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the new creation. He is the lamb that was slain. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. And he is that perfect groom who is coming back for his bride. On that day, church, seeing the face of Jesus, will be worth it. Hearing Jesus say, well done, my good and faithful servant, will be worth it because he is the worthiest of all goals. He is the lily of the valley, the rose of Sharon, the fairest of 10,000. He is the bright and morning star. Jesus is the balm of Gilead, the pearl of great price. He is the bread of heaven. So praise Him for making all things new. Praise Him for making His breath enter into you. Praise Him that we who were once dry bones have been sprung to new life. Now, with the power of the Holy Spirit, may we be faithful on our mission. Amen? Let's pray.